The Radio Fanboy Podcast with Bevo. This week on the Radio Fanboy Podcast, we're talking to 4BC Music Director Brent James. How are you, Brent? Hey, g'day, Lee. Happy to be here, mate. Happy to be here. It's so good to finally catch you. I mean, you've been a, a very busy man, 4KQ across to um, BC. Mm-hmm. Such an interesting transition because, you know, 4BC, it, it's, it's been known for quite some time now as a talk station. Now it's kind of bringing those classic hits across with your music brain, I guess. How are you finding it? Mate, I'm really enjoying it. You know, Nine Radio is great to, uh, to, to, to work for. And as, as you'll find out as we explore further here, it's, it's a bit of a buzz to be actually be working at, at 4BC. I did some casual work there for a short time back in... I think after I left KQ the first time in 98. Um, but, you know, it's the station that uh, I sort of idolise as a child back in the 60s. So it, it's 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 funny how life turns around. So it's just great to be there. You grew up in Brisbane, of course. So you're a Brisbane local. You're not yes. like uh, a lot of other people that have kind of moved around the country. And your early memories of radio and your fascination, what, what, do, what do you remember listening to growing up in Brisbane? Oh, geez, mate, I can remember, you know, a, an essay back in, uh, or composition, they call them, back at uh, Kimmore State School um, when I was about in grade three, I think, and... What do you want to be when you grow up? While the other kids were doing compositions about, I want to be a train driver, I want to be a fire engine driver, here I am writing, I want to be a disc jockey, because in those days, I was just totally absorbed by listening to to radio in Brisbane, uh, to the 4IP, but to a larger extent back then, the 4BC, uh, you know, with Johnny James on Breakfast, Bird Brain, Bert Robertson, these guys, I think, as a young kid, I just idolised on on radio, and I used to be listening all the time to the hits, the top 40 songs, then as the, the 70s moved in, became a teen and so forth, I used to make note of what BC and 4IP were playing to their playlist every week. What album tracks they were playing, what was going in the playlist each week, what was going out, I was that into the whole thing. And then, you know, at night time when I was supposed to be doing homework, <laughs> you know, on a good night, I'd be listening to, uh, to, to 2SM. I remember listening to uh, Robbo, Graham Roberts, who years later I got to work with briefly at 4IP. But, uh, and, and then on, on an even better night, I'll be able to tune in to 3XY in Melbourne to find out what they were doing. And that was it. That was my, my my school of radio, I guess. Pretty incredible how um, back in the day, AM radio was um, being able to, you know, being heard in, in other states. Um, you kind of had to have that sweet spot or that, that the right spot to put your AM radio to pick it up. Did you have to move to a different room or did you go out into the car to listen to these stations? No, 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 no. I had a couple of different radios in, in my bedroom. Uh, one of them had a bit of a long wire attached to the uh, antenna, so I could move that wire around a bit to try and, uh, as you say, DX a bit of uh, 3XY in Melbourne on a good night. The funny thing is, you know, when you first start working radio and you, you get someone calling you saying, oh, I'm listening from like 200, 300 miles away. Oh, wow, that's awesome. They're hearing me there. And then, of course, in the internet age, you get emails from someone saying, I'm listening to you. I live in this remote castle in the south of France. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm listening to you right now. And all these really, you know, from oil rigs in the Dead Sea, uh, sending emails from all these bizarre places around the world you get emails from. You think, wow, how time and technology has, has changed from those earlier days. It's so good to hear that you've had a fascination for radio at such a young age. And it sounds like you were destined 
to be working um, in radio and on radio by the sounds of it. What was your first official gig, though? My first official gig was uh, as a panel operator at 4IP in 1977. Now, I did the uh, the ATV course with um, Jim Eilert and John Knox. Uh, that was in 77 after leaving school, I think, like a year early. Uh, because I, I think my, my dad, the rest of the family went into medical things and I was the only one that didn't go into anything medical. I think he just gave, because of my obsession with music and radio, I think he just gave up in the end. Like, what the hell with it? Just, just go. So anyway, so I left and, and got a job as a uh, panel op at, um, at, at 4IP. Now, initially, I was just going in there, not getting paid uh, under the guidance of Graham Kemp. Uh, to, to do a bit of production work and just to see how things go and then a panel op job came up and uh, and I soon grabbed it so I was then doing uh, obviously uh, some carting I was making up gold tapes for their Curac automation system oh wow um, and then I was also uh, babysitting Curac keeping it on time midnight to dawn uh, filing records away during the night answering phones and then uh, paneling the Sunday night show. I think they had an album show, which was just voice tracks on tape. You play the records live, followed by, um, I think, the King Biscuit Flower Hour, maybe I had to put to wear. Then there was uh, time paneling for Father Clary White on Sunday nights. And that was in 77 and into 1978. Mate, it was a buzz working there because as a kid, you know, wide-eyed kid just having the opportunity to, to work at a place like that. And 77 was, was the peak year for 4IP so far as ratings go and it started to drift away because everything was changing in the market after 77 and then you know 4BK was rising in Brisbane radio and some of the 4IP staff moved across to, to, to 4BK some moved across to KQ so everything was sort of fractured in Brisbane radio around 1978 so but to be there in 77 when you're, you're seeing you know Shirley Strawn just casually stroll around the building and these sort of people coming in and out it was just wow it was a great time do you remember the lineup back in those days? He was doing breakfast, you know, the, the daytime. I can, I can yep. yeah, I can tell you who it was. Uh, okay, you had uh, Robbo, Graham Roberts on breakfast. Oh, Alan wow. McGurvin, Phil Maroney, or Lee Cornell, actually, then Phil Maroney. Then you had Paul J. Turner, of course, the late Paul J. Turner on Drive. Uh, then you had Kevin Hillier. And then initially, when I started there, Ray McGregor was there ever so briefly. Uh, then he moved across to 4BK, and then Mark Plummer, I think, short time, was doing late nights, followed by, for the most time I was there, it was Chris Lee. Oh, wow, yeah, some legendary names there. And, of course, um, Ray McGregor went on to be a, a big voiceover artist um, and, and made it big with B105 back in the 90s as well um, and, and doing a lot of uh, network stuff for the Today Network. So, um, yes... Um, some big names. Gary Hargrave was on Mid Dawn. Oh, that just popped into your head. Gary Hargrave. <laughs> yeah, just popped in my head. I'm thinking, okay, Mid Dawn guys. Yeah, there was Gary Hargrave. Yeah, there was one. So, how long did you end up uh, staying there at 4IP? I was there up until I think they had a lot of changes there because I, in, oh. in the time I was there, they'd been sold to 2SM. Uh, and under the understanding, they've always been aligned with 2SM, but they were sold to 2SM. And. Uh, then 2SM made some major major changes to the station locally. Uh, and I was down the bottom of the food chain. I was, you know, way, way, way down below anyone. I was, you know, one of the first to go, you know, because I was just a, you know, kid. Um, so I was there until I think it was around about maybe 
July, June, July, August, 78. Okay. Um, and there was a bunch of us made redundant. So I was, as I said, on the lower part of that list, I was one of the first to go and there were other major changes going on there then. Uh, so from there, uh, my first on-air job was 4LM Mount Isa. And went up there in, um, I think, October 78. So uh, was up there till about February 79. Left there. I was just homesick. First time away from home. What, you know, 18, 19 years of age or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I left there and uh, came home briefly. Then went to um, 4CD Gladstone, which was quite a notorious place with the manager at that time. Uh, I went there and was there till early 81, I think. So from, from there, I then went to 4CA Cairns, which was great fun, uh, under AWA ownership in those days. Uh, I was there until 83, left Cairns in 83, went to 4GR Toowoomba from 83, was at uh, GR Toowoomba all the way through till just before Expo in 88. And I came down and joined 4KQ the first time, not long after they had changed the Greatest Memories Latest Hits format. And initially doing mid-dawn, so I came down just in time for Expo. Um, and then I think by about 89, I became music director uh, at KQ, then uh, also doing nights for a while. And we had a very successful and offbeat version of Love Song Dedications on KQ which sort of, in many ways, took the mickey out of many things. Uh, and we, we had a bit of fun. We had a bit of fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were doing crazy things at times. Like, I used to send somebody with a dirty big brick of a mobile phone uh, up to uh, up to Mount Cutha to get love song dedications. And I know who, I think it was Dave Ulchier. There's a name. I used to send Dave Ulchier up. He was doing mid-dawns. Uh, up to uh, Mount Cutha uh, to knock on panel vans to get love song dedications from couples <laughs> in the back of the van. And I remember that this is true. And can you believe this? So we're talking 1991, yeah. and uh, he knocked on the back of a panel van, and there was truly a Kylie and a Jason in the back of the van. Oh, my God. So he jumped in. He jumped in the back of the van, got love song dedication. Another time, I think I sent him to the uh, the drive-in at Capella Bar, knocking on car windows to get love song dedications. Yeah. And, yeah, we used to do all sorts of bizarre stuff uh, back in those days for love song dedications. And, yeah, it lasted a few years. I then went down to Wave FM in Wollongong for several years as a program or content director up until uh, 2001. Then I came back. It was a funny time. My wife was a flight attendant with ANSET. Oh, yes. Uh, and, of course, that was at the time of the whole ANSET collapse and all that. So we, we, we came back to, uh, to to Brisbane, and I started doing casual work again at, at KQ, uh, again doing the music and doing a bit of on-air work, but not too much, mostly doing, doing the music, uh, which morphed into full-time music director, and on air again, and where I was up until uh, 30th of June this year. Yeah, an incredible journey um, as music director of 4KQ for so many years. But with that role came another um, great opportunity, and that was to actually make compilations with Sony Music, which would have been a, a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of work, a lot of fun. And look, a part of that was, you know, I used to have the same um, mindset for doing music features on KQ 
where you have your common denominator songs, but you also have certain tracks that you don't often that were hits that you don't often get to hear. In the case of CDs, uh, it was uh, common denominator tracks on those compilations uh, matched up with songs that people had been asking for, but you could not find oh, because yes. they're very hard to license. I do remember um, buying the 50th anniversary of 4KQ. It was a three-CD set, and it had um, indeed Railroad Gin, Only a Matter of Time yes. in there, one of the only um, CDs I was able to actually get that song on. So. That, Absolutely. Oh, and they were a Brisbane band, weren't they? They were a Brisbane band. Also on that triple CD set was, uh, speaking of Carol Lloyd, who was lead singer of the late Carol Lloyd of Railroad Gin. Uh, Carol Lloyd band was also on there too, All the Good Things, which was great, which we accessed that off the, the master tape as well. So it was very Brisbane-centric. It did very well. Uh, but with all the other compilations that I did over the, uh, especially that last 12-year spurt of doing stuff with Sony, uh, I would mine songs that made the charts that might have been Victorian only hits, oh, might have right. been New South Wales only hits, or might have been Queensland only hits, or maybe they were hits in two markets, South Australia and Queensland, which happened a lot, by the way. There was a lot of commonality between what happened in Adelaide and Brisbane, and then a certain amount of stuff that was uniquely Melbourne, but might have crossed over into Brisbane. I would look at those tracks and we'd, we'd get those, but you know, a lot of times... The reason why these songs never surface is because it takes a hell of a lot of detective work to, to find out who owns the rights. Because what's happened uh, a lot over the years, especially for things that might have been overseas hits, let's talk about, talk about that for starters, might have been overseas hits, not big overseas in their home turf, but big in this territory. Uh, and what's happened then? So the paperwork's been lost for these things. And the record companies who theoretically own them, the big labels, they've got no record of them anymore because nothing's ever been entered into a database for these tracks. So in those cases, you've got to find out, you know, trace it. So I'd have to find out either track down the lead singer of the band or the producer in those cases or the artist and try and find out more information. And sometimes they would say, no, 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 such and such label owns that. And I said, no, they reckon they don't own it. Um, I had a few interesting experiences with, with a couple of artists, like a uh, couple of um, deceased artists. I rang up one case, their widow, in Nashville, and she kept hanging up on me. She thought I was a telemarketer calling from overseas. <laughs> and I tried, and I just gave up on that. That was uh, Bobby Russell's wife, Cindy Russell. I was trying to track down a song I'd been asked for for the 70s compilations for so many years, Go Chase Your Rainbow. It was a, a bit of a... Um, bit of a tearjerker thing. I managed to track down uh, Sydney Russell in, in, in Nashville and I rang her up a few times and she kept hanging up on me and it was all too hard so I just gave up on that one. So we never got that one reissued. But uh, we had lots of wins, lots of interesting songs. We actually got reissued for the first time. Sadly, since all those CDs have now been deleted, those songs are nowhere to be found because a lot of these things, especially Australian stuff, which is why I love doing those Australian pop compilations. We did, I think, six or seven volumes of the 60s, the 70s, the 80s ones, because we had lots of stuff on there that hadn't seen the light of day before that were hits around Australia. And uh, these things are not available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere now. And, yeah, you know, sad. unless you got so those sad. CDs... It's like my wife. She went to get Ross Ryan's Blue Chevrolet Ballerina, big hit up here in Queensland. And uh, she said, oh, it's not on Spotify. I said, no, because they probably have I'm Pegasus. 
maybe one or two others, but not the other hits. Mm. And that's often the case because uh, there's so much, so much Australian stuff that is just not out there anymore, which is a real shame. It's a real pity. Where did you get a lot of the info for, um, like, where these hits were? Um, was it was it from, from, like, that book that used to um, get published every couple of years with all the chart information, or did you have well, access no. to other uh, information? Well, I'm lucky enough to have a whole stack of top 40 charts, which I've studied from Melbourne, Adelaide, all the different markets. Uh, Perth, again, is quite different once again from what happened in Perth to what happened in Melbourne and so forth. So I was lucky to have a lot of that info here anyway. But what was a big help was Gavin Ryan's chart books, uh, which are just brilliant. If you can find a copy anywhere, these are the Gavin Ryan books. So the Sydney chart book, the Melbourne chart book, the Brisbane chart book, the Adelaide chart book, the Perth chart book. So I was able to access all those, look through those, and think, well, that was a top 10 song in Adelaide. Uh, did it chart anywhere else? Okay, no, I think we can actually get the licensing for that. We can clear that one, so we'll include that because that was a big, big hit and never been available in that market. Yeah, it's quite amazing some of the songs you've been able to put on these compilations and obviously having that exclusivity to um, these compilations made them sell amazingly. You know, it's a bit like radio and those features that KQ did. Um, it's all about having a, a talk about this before, a, a point of difference. You know, you've got to have a point of difference. If you put those compilations out with the same old, same old songs that have been reissued a thousand times before, they might do okay, sure, but it's uh, the ones where there's a handful of tracks on those that you have not been able to buy. Now, someone buying that CD might um, already have some of the others. But they'll go, geez, look at this. I haven't got this song. I've never seen that song on CD before. So they'd buy the CD. As I say, it's all about that, that little point of difference. With your job uh, producing these amazing uh, compilations and, and so forth, did you get the opportunity to meet a lot of these artists and, and strike up some good friendships over the years? I tell you what, that was one of the biggest thrills doing that work because, you know, I was exchanging emails on a regular basis with people like um, John Carter, for example. Now, John Carter was one of the great singer, songwriters, composers in the UK in the 60s. Not a household name, but I mean, this is the guy that uh, co-wrote, you know, everything from Knock Knock, Who's There, to Hermits, Hermits, Can't You Hear My Heartbeat. Uh, he was the voice of the new vaudeville band. He actually sang Winchester Cathedral. In later years, he was the writer, singer, producer of the Ohio Express when, when the Casino Cats in America farmed it out to UK singer-songwriter producers. Uh, he was also Kincaid of Dreams of Ten a Penny in the 70s. He was behind First Class and Beach Baby in late 74. Just an absolute lovely guy and a legend. And, you know, chatting with him, exchanging emails with people like drummer Hal Blaine, uh, who had played drums on a, such a large volume of hits that were recorded in, in Los Angeles, in the West Coast in the 60s and the 70s. Just so many people like him and other performers and singers just exchanging emails with them. It was just a buzz. You know, Susie Quattro, when, when you get exchanging emails with them, wow, I never thought I'd actually be exchanging information with these people or exchanging emails with them. It was just fantastic. With your, your time at 4KQ, there was an article published, I think it was in an American publication talking about uh, 4KQ is the highest rating AM music station in the world. Um, wow, that's that's a pretty uh, big claim. The success of KQ, yep. what do you think it came down to? Was it just the right people at the right time and they just did what they loved? Um, 
obviously yourself included, with the the, the big um, music base of it. Look, there was. You got to realise uh, KQ because I've been doing pretty much that format for so long, and being the heritage station in town. Um, there was that. There was the credibility of the the music we play, making sure we played the correct versions by the correct artists, not re-records, uh, the hits that they remember. Uh, there was stuff like um, the announcers were, were local, they knew Brisbane, there was credibility there. Uh, you know, they talked about little tiny bits of nostalgic things about Brisbane through the years, be it the 70s, the 80s, whatever. There were all these little connections that really resonated and connected with the uh, with the listener over those years and also things like a heritage breakfast show of course then of course the uh, consistency of what kq did for so so many years and the fact we kept it interesting we just didn't walk away schedule it and leave it we we're always trying different ways to you know reinvent what we were doing within the boundaries the format uh, with, with the weekend features and all the other things that, that kq did over over so many years uh, and it was all kept very local, uh, musically as well, because music was done locally for the, for the research. And not only that, the music features uh, focused a lot because of me, I guess, growing up in, in Brisbane, hearing all this stuff, knowing what went on in those years, uh, that element came into what I would schedule for those special KQ music features, which all seemed to work very nicely. The announcement that um, KQ was um, having to be sold off and and basically coming to its end. How is that news received amongst, you know, these people that have been doing what they've been doing for so long? Oh, it was, it, was devast it was devastating. I know for many listeners it was like losing someone in the family. And, you know, it, for me it was like losing someone in my family because, uh, I speak for myself here, but uh, it had been such a large part of, of my life over so many years, over two different periods, that I'd put so much on my own I guess, passion into it and heart and soul. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, and you've got to keep in mind, you know, it's not our radio station. You know, it's, it's we, we, we're employees. We work there. So yep. it's up to the owners to do if they want to change format. They want to sell it. So you've got to keep that in mind at the end of the day. It's, it's not yours. Uh, you're a part of it, sure, and you have been a part of it. But, you know, end of the day, uh, it's there to... You know what they wish with i guess the uh specials that you put together um for the closure of kq there must have been quite a few man hours going to those to um put them to wear with all the research and the songs and countdowns and so forth oh yeah that was pretty full on that last month of kq was pretty full on um including putting that two hour special together with all the archival the history segments in there and um and the final night of music, much of which had a connection or a theme to it, I guess, for that last night of uh, classic hits on KQ. So very emotional time, um, but, you know, the, the world turns and we got to get on and move on, I guess. You chose the best song to finish the, the station that everyone grew up listening to for KQ, American Pie, Don McLean, the the day the music died very fitting yeah that wasn't really the last song though lee because ah. i was concerned people would think that because in the studio when everyone's crammed in the studio and they think it's the last song playing i'm going shh shh, shh quieten down because then it segued into the end by the beatles so ah. american pie finished and then then you hear the piano and in the end you hear that last segment of abbey road so theoretically that was the last song played i wanted it that way that was what i had in mind for for the last song very clever and of course um i saw the the vision of 
you guys in the studio singing along to Don McLean's American Pie and, and the tears <laughs> and the, there must have been a few uh, drinks had by uh, most of the staff by then, the farewell party. Well, there were, and I think by quite a few of the listeners as well, because judging by the uh, emails we received in the last uh, month, two months, three months, uh, massive pile of emails, from obviously, you know, very passionate listeners over KQ over such a such a long time who'd grown up with it so yeah I'm just really happy that a lot of you have found um, new homes after KQ because it would be uh, a legacy which um, wouldn't be able to continue in, in Brisbane so it's so good that um, Barbecue Bob's gone across to 4BH and, and doing breakfast there and um, yourself and um, Laura Gary Market 4BC yeah uh, and, and, and Nick Michaels has gone to uh, to Smooth FM on, right. on DAB doing breakfast. Yep. So, so we've pretty much all had it around the place. <laughs> and then you've got um, Barry popping up down the road at uh, River 949 as well. So it's it's all Oh, there. that's right. That's true. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brent James, um, thank you so, so much for joining us on the Radio Fanboy podcast and sharing your memories of KQ and your radio career. Mate, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. The Radio Fanboy Podcast with Bevo. Follow now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Lee Bevington Media, voiceovers and on-air talent for radio, television and podcasts.